privilege to have people who sing so that I don't have to get up on stage and sing, right? Yeah, isn't that a blessing? Um, hey, I, I just wanted to make you aware, uh, we, we announced it last week, um, but uh, I did want to make you aware once again that um, we have expanded into the digital age and we do have online giving options um, and a text to give option. So if uh, you missed your opportunity earlier in the service, um, you said, I didn't have any cash with me, but I wanted to give something. Um, this is an option for you. Um, that is an ongoing thing. Um, just by going to our website, wapaknas.org um, slash give um, will take you to that website and you can set up your account and do all that kind of stuff um, there at that website. But um, as we move into our, our service today, we've been uh, in this series called Plumb Lines, right? Hence, hence the plumb line hanging from the scaffolding there. Um, we've been in this series called Plumb Lines the last few weeks, and, and if you're listening online or uh, in the recorded message, um, I apologize, we've had some technical issues where we haven't had all of these messages recorded, um, but if you've been here in person, um, you've heard all last four weeks um, where we talked the first week about our plumb line, one of the things we say frequently around here is we embrace the awkward. Life is full of awkward moments. Life is full of moments where you have a conversation with somebody and they know who exactly you, who you are and they greeted you by name and you're trying to remember who they were and you're going through this, this catalog in your brain. Who is this person? Who is this person? You can't remember. It's just awkward. But we embrace those moments here. We're all human. We all have moments where our memory lapses. We all have moments where we say things we shouldn't have said. We embrace the awkward. And that looks in all facets. That means we forgive radically when forgiveness doesn't make any rational sense because it was awkward, but we embrace it anyway. We also believe that uh, to behave or believe, you must first belong somewhere. We hope that this place for you is a place where you feel like you belong where it's okay to be you here. You don't have to be somebody else. You don't go home on Monday, and Monday through Saturday you're so-and-so, and and then you come to church and you're a different version of yourself. No, that's not. We hope that you are you, genuinely, fully, 100% you here, and you feel like you can be. We want you to belong. And as as an outcome of belonging, we believe that belief comes with that. As you belong to a community, you begin to believe like that community. Um, And then behavior follows that, but that's not really even the goal. That's just an outcome. The goal is that you belong. Pray now and pray later. If you don't pray now, you won't pray later. I'm guilty of this all the time. Can I confess that right now? I tell people, I'm going to pray for you, and then I mean to pray for them, and I just forget to pray for them. But if I pray for them in that moment— if I pray for them right then, the chances are, just, just chemically, in your brain, the chances are you're going to remember it better. Pray now, and then you'll pray later. And we give from what he gives us. God is a God who gives. He's generous. He gives of abundance. He gives of himself fully and completely. And so we give in relation to that, as, as a byproduct of that. And so... Um, Today is the last day of our plumb line series, and um, that doesn't mean the plumb line stop. You'll hear these words and these phrases again in the life of our church because they're things that we say. And you'll may start to pick up on other ones, other phrases that are said frequently. Um, I know I would appreciate just feedback. What, what are you hearing said all the time in our church? What's the culture that's being created? Because sometimes 
We say things in a repeated fashion, and we don't realize the effect that they're having. Language creates culture. Um, so it's always good, always great to hear um, what you're picking up and what you're hearing being said um, about who we are um, and how the community reflects and recognizes us. Um, but today we're going to fa- focus on our last one, which we won't get through all of the things that Stephen and I had listed out a few months ago um, about the things that we say, but um, I wanted to hit on a couple more today. Um, and that is, um, we is better than me. We is better than me. Which is kind of why we sang that last chorus again for the I need you with a we. Because we has more impact than I or me. We has a greater reach than me. We means I don't have to do everything. It means we share the load. We do it. It means I don't have to connect with every single person because you connect with people that I don't connect with. I tell that to my teenagers all the time. On, uh, on Wednesday nights when we meet together for our, for our youth meeting at Engage, I say, uh, there are teens, classmates in your school that I will never, ever encounter in my life. I will never talk to them. I will never see them face to face, lock eyes with them. It just won't happen. But you have an opportunity to be intimately connected with them in some of the most foundational years of your life. Same is true for all of us in this room as well. Not just the teenagers in the room, but kids and adults. We all have that ability to connect with people. We do it naturally. We don't even think about it. But that's why we is so much better than me. Because we can reach people where I can only reach so many. Um, And that's what God has called us to. But we're going to be looking today um, at the book, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, verses 4 through 27. So you, if you have your Bibles or your iPhones or whatever you've got, um, electronic or paper, old school, uh, you can uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <laughs> uh, and 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. Um, Paul really took on this, this position of Uh, of leadership amongst a lot of churches where he wasn't there like a typical pastor where he was assigned there and they saw him every week and uh, he could preach a sermon to them. No, he he always traveled. He was kind of a a traveling evangelist almost. And and so he wasn't always able to be with them. And so he would write letters to the churches. And he'd say, this is what I need you to know. This is what I need you to understand. I've I've heard from some of your leaders that this is going on and, and here's what I say about that. And and, and Paul had this way of communicating to people, even when he wasn't physically there. And so um, we benefit from the rich history of our faith by being able to read his words today. First um, Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to read the first few verses, and, and we'll get to the rest of it here as we go along. But I wanted to read, uh, starting in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. 
to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. We give because God gives. God gives to us things to do his work. It's not haphazard. It's not accidental. God says, I've got a plan. I've got a mission. There's this way I need to reach these people. And so I'm going to give my people these things so they can do that. Not so that they can hoard these gifts and they can say, well, you know, I've got uh, the gift of prophecy, so I'm just going to write a little journal by myself and not tell anybody about these things that God's telling me. A prophet's to speak his words or her words, to proclaim them to the people. We give because God gives. And as we do it collectively, we is better than me. Because I don't have to be a prophet if I'm not a prophet. I can let the prophet do that. I can do my part, and they can do their part. And collectively, we accomplish God's mission. As God has given to us, we give to others as well. And so as I was thinking about this, this kind of concept and you know, I think you'd be dis- disappointed by this point if I didn't make a superhero reference in my sermons. And so I had to make some kind of reference, and I was trying to think, and you know, I thought of the great teams, I thought of the Justice League, and I thought of the Avengers, and I thought, no, n- none of them are really capturing this idea that I'm really going for here, this, this we is better than me um, idea. And so then I thought about maybe the greatest superhero team of all time, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Now, as a kid of the 90s, I've got to confess, um, I was, it was very difficult for me growing up in the 90s because I was not allowed to watch the Power Rangers. For whatever reason, I could watch Batman and Superman all day long, uh, punching things through outer space, but I wasn't allowed to watch the Power Rangers. And so I would try to, like all good, uh, you know, adolescents, sneak and find it some way or another. Um, hide when my parents came in the room and changed the channel so they didn't see that I was watching Power Rangers. Um, that happens. If, 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 you're, if, you're, if you're a parent and you don't know that that happens, you're just ignorant to it. It happens all the time. Um, so, so I, uh, but, I, but I, I also have to say that um, the Power Rangers was so huge that it was hard to avoid it. It was hard to avoid it, especially in the 90s when it came out, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, here, here's some numbers for you. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the Power Rangers, it's now spanned 26 se- seasons. It's still on TV today. They've had different seasons and obviously different actors and stuff like that. 26 seasons um, Power Rangers has been on TV. Nearly 900 episodes and a $6 billion toy merchandise company. Six billion dollars out of toys, those action figures you find at the store in the aisle there, just gobs of them, just the little figurines. Six million dollars. Power Rangers was huge. And, uh, and I also have to confess that um, while I wasn't allowed to watch Power Rangers growing up, I have, in my adulthood, gone back and watched Power Rangers because I was like, man, what was I missing all of that time? Um, and if you've seen Power Rangers, you know how wonderfully hokey and fantastic Power Rangers is. From the choreography and the fighting to the costumes to the, the whole thing, it was just, it, it mesmerized you. 
Um, six teenagers, ordinary teenagers, granted extraordinary abilities to stop an evil alien, Rita Repulsa, from taking over the world. It was a crazy story, and what kid wouldn't be excited about that? I, 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 you know, I, I could be a teenager one day too. I could have superpowers. I could do something important. I could be a part of it. That was the idea that they sold. They marketed that. Like, this could be you. Anybody could be this. And so the Power Rangers, uh, it's funny that it spanned 26 seasons, really, because as you watch the episodes, they all kind of follow the same format. The teenagers are hanging out at the local whatever shop, and they're just having a good time. And then, oh, no, here comes the bad guys with a plot to destroy the world. And so they turn into the Power Rangers, and they start fighting, and they're doing their thing, but they're getting beat up, and they're not, they're not making headway. And so finally, the bad guy kind of retreats, and they're kind of licking their wounds too. And they're trying to figure out what on earth are we going to do. And so the bad guy's in their lair plotting, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these Power Rangers this time. I'm going to really figure out something. And so it always ended up being some kind of giant robot came into the city to destroy the city. And now the Power Rangers, being normal average height people, how are we going to stop, stop this giant robot from destroying the city? And so I actually have a video that I want you to guys see. And if, if, if Mike, if you could hit the sound on the computer for us. Um, we'll watch this video, and maybe it'll be a little n- nostalgic moment for some of you here. So I'm just going to say it. Power Rangers was way cooler than the Transformers. I'm just going to say it. That has to go out there, um, just so we can have it on record. Um, and it's very easy to see why this lasted 26 seasons now, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, and the primary colors, right? Like everything, everything you, you needed out of life was, was all wrapped up in the Power Rangers. Uh, but they got this concept. As they had fought and used their individual abilities to fight back the, the enemy, and they realized there's no way individually we're going to be able to do this anymore, they combined their powers. And so what we didn't see in the video is that what happens is, is each one controls one of those animals that combined together there and made the giant robot. Each one of them has their own, like, uh, command center inside of them. So one of them's the rhino, and one of them's the saber-toothed tiger. And, and so by combining their powers together, they were able to do something much bigger than what they could have done individually. And that's a silly illustration, right? It's, it's goofy. But it gets at the point that we is better than me all the time. You have gifts and abilities and talents which are awesome, They're fantastic, and we want you to flourish and use those to the best of your abilities. And if if there's a way that we can help you do that as a church, we want to be part of that, help you use your gifts and your talents. But it's when we combine all of those gifts and talents together that the mission of God is unleashed, and the church actually does its mission. The church actually begins to transform the world around it. And so when we combine our strengths we are stronger than when we do it separately. Uh, I was actually reading out of that magazine that I mentioned too earlier in, in our, uh, our time of giving, and um, this is what one of the articles had to say. It says, genetic research has taught us that as much as 99% of the DNA in any person is common to the rest of humanity. Say that another way. 1% of your DNA makes you different from everybody else. of you makes you the same. We is better than me. We were created to be together, to be the same, to be on mission together, united and strengthened by one another. 
And we've got it twisted when we follow the headline news that just wants to create diversity and difference and division and separate and segment this group, that group, this group, them, us, other, inside, outside. All of these distinguishing marks are not markers of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God says, we is better than me. The kingdom of God says, come be a part of this. Come join us. And, and, and the person says, well, I'm not one of you. I don't look like you. I don't act like you. I don't think like you. And the kingdom of God says, I don't care. That doesn't matter. Because we're more alike than we realize. And because we have a mission to do. A uh, famous author, Eugene Peterson, also wrote in a book, uh, the long, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says this, No Christian is an only child. Maybe some of you in this room grew up as an only child. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't like it. There's pros and cons to every family structure and dynamic, right? I had four siblings, two brothers and two sisters. There were times I wished I was an only child. But what Eugene Peterson is saying is that with the statement, no Christian is an only child, is that you're never alone in this. You're never alone in this. You're never isolated to the point of of nobody is there beside you. We're united, connected, unable to separate ourselves fully if we are invested fully in Christ and his mission. We could try to act like we're on our own. We can pretend that I'm just going to do it all by myself. But at the root core, if we're connected to God and we're invested in God personally, then God's spirit, that is the same spirit in me as it is in you, unites us without us even intending for it to do that. And so when we, con- when we insist on separating ourselves and saying it's about me and I've got to do it my way and it must be about these things that I do, then we continue to fight against the spirit that is living inside of us. It's actually an internal battle because God's spirit is not individualistic. It is collective. God's spirit is not individualistic. It is collective. And he wants us to be together in community, in relationship. We is better than me. Turning back to to 1 Corinthians, if you will. We're going to pick up in verse 12 where we left off. Verse 11 said, All these are the works of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. And so then Paul continues in verse 12. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. I love this analogy because we all instinctively understand this. The body. We all have bodies. Um, 
Some of our bodies can do things that other people's bodies cannot do. Some of us have trained our bodies to endure uh, certain amounts of a, a physical pain threshold that others of us can't endure. So we have differences there, but we understand this concept that I've got different parts of my body and they do different things. I mean, my one-year-old child understands this. He understands that his hands aren't used like feet and that his feet isn't how he takes in food as much as he would like to squish it with his foot and just get it between the toes and in the toenails and, and get a mess everywhere. That to eat, to consume, to be full and satisfied by the food that's sitting before him, he can't just step on it. He's got to put it in his mouth because that's how he eats. Our body does different things and we don't think about it because we're so used to it because we've been using it all of our lives that it's just routine. It's just common. And Paul says, just as your body is this way, so is your spiritual life. Just as your physical life is this way, manifested through the body, so is your spiritual life manifested through your community that you are part of, through the engagement with the body, through your engagement with a local church, through your engagement with other Christians. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, separation, racial separation, ethnic separation, Jews and Gentiles, we don't get along because they're not like us and, and they don't look like us and, and I don't like the way they smell. Jews and Gentiles, doesn't matter. Slave or free, which was not only just uh, whether they could make their own living or they worked for somebody else, but it was kind of almost an economic breakdown too. If you were poor, you probably became a slave because that's how you got a job and you worked for somebody else. Rich or poor, slave or free, it doesn't matter. We were all given the one spirit, one spirit. God unites us. That which unites us is so much bigger than that which separates us. God is everything that unites us. God is, is what unites us to the creation around us. If we go back to Genesis, and I don't have it on the screen, and, and, and you don't have to flip there, but you can if you want to, and you go back to the creation narrative where God created the world in Genesis chapter 2, he created everything in it. And at the end of each day, God said, it was good. It was good. God's saying, I didn't make a mistake. I made the world how I intended to make the world. I made the plants and the trees and the animals how I intended to make the plants and trees and animals. And so he comes to the creation of man, and he creates man. He creates Adam. And then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. He, he needs something else. He's not supposed to be by himself. We, he needs connection. He needs relationship with others. And so he created Eve for companionship, for friendship, for equal footing, for a partner to do life with. Not in a subservient way, but as an as a equal But what, also, what else is interesting there out of the Genesis narrative is, is as we look at it really closely and we see that God 
to give life to Adam, breathed into Adam. God imparted his spirit into Adam. God gave of himself so that Adam could have life. And in theological terms, in the study of God terms and, and scholarly stuff, we begin to talk about this as the imago Dei, or the image of God, that we as, as people, not even believers, just as people, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or you're anything else, we have in us innately the image of God. It's there. It's implanted in us. We can't remove it. There's no surgery to take it out. We're there because we're part of his creation. Like an artist who squiggles their name at the bottom of a painting, God has implanted his image, his mark on all of us. So that we know that we're supposed to be in it together. We're a collection. We're a collective, a group. Not supposed to be segmented and compartmentalized. Continuing on in 2 Corinthians, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And it is, there are many parts, but one body. We are one. We're not many. We're not supposed to be many. Like, going back to that Power Rangers illustration, they became one to fight, to defend, to protect, to fulfill their mission. We are one with different parts, different tasks, different jobs, different abilities, different gifts, different talents, but we are supposed to be doing it together. And I think the temptation sometimes is to say, well, you guys do that stuff over there. Just, you know, I won't bother you. Just kind of do your, your prayer stuff or whatever. I'm not a praying person. So you guys do your praying stuff over there. And I, that's great. That's, that's part of the body. So we need that to happen, right? So you guys can do your prayer over there. I won't be a part of that um, because I'm over here and, and I believe more in this part of it. And I, I'll invest in this stuff and, and let them do that stuff. That's not how it works either. We're supposed to be doing it together, collectively. I've shared before um, a couple times, and it's, it's fresh on my mind now as well, because tomorrow I leave for another week of, of Army training, and, and primarily what I'm going to be doing this week is planning with the staff. I'm going to be sitting in a room with a bunch of different men and women who have different uh, skills and abilities and different jobs, some of them are responsible for making sure our radios work. They're thinking about that kind of thing. Some of them are responsible for making sure that we get food and water so that we don't starve and dehydrate ourselves. So they're thinking about that logistical piece. Some of them are responsible for, well, how do we combat the enemy that's in front of us? What are we going to do? What's our strategy? What's our strategic 
how are we going to make this happen? So that's their, their part. But what doesn't happen, or what shouldn't happen in a good setting for that, we don't separate and go different places and then kind of try to smash it all together. We work through it collectively. We all sit at the table, and we chime in, and there's often, at times, disagreement. And sometimes things get a little bit heated. And sometimes people don't like talking with other people at the table. Say it ain't so. But what happens when we do that, when we collectively get together, is we actually come out with a plan that makes sense when it's done well. We actually come out with a plan that provides the things we need to be able to complete the mission that's before us. Because you're not going to be able to survive very long without water when it's 115 degrees outside. Doesn't matter. So we have to get together, collectively, collaborate. It's not just about finding the people who are doing one thing and compartmentalizing and segmenting them. No, it's we do it together. And even if you're not good at it, good at it, you can't see me online air quoting, but good at it, even if you're not good at it, it's still part of what we're supposed to be about because we're part of one body. Your hand doesn't hear for you, right? But it doesn't hinder the hearing. The hearing is going on simultaneously while the hand is doing its job. It's collective. It's working together. Continuing on, picking up in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Could beat the dead horse here and keep talking about how we're one part of the same body. I think you're getting that concept, right? Um, it's a rocket science here. I went the wrong way on my PowerPoint, though. There we go. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We share in the successes and in the failures, in the celebrations and in the mourning. We share. We is better than me isn't just about the good things that we can accomplish with it. We is better than me is also about how we deal with loss. How we deal with suffering. How we deal with pain. And a lot of us, man, when we deal with loss, we want to hole up. And we don't want to let anybody know that it's messing with us. We don't want anybody to know that, that we're struggling, that we're suffering. And when somebody asks, hey, how you doing? 
we say something like, well, as good as can be, to kind of kill that conversation. And so we can move on. So we don't have to process through that. So we don't have to work through that. We're supposed to be in that together. Collectively. Each one of you has a part of the body of Christ. Each one of you has a role. Each one of you has a place. It's another one of our plumb lines that we say, and it goes along with this. Everyone plays in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not exclusive, it's inclusive. It brings people in. People who we think would never in a million years even want to be a part of that. And all of a sudden, through the work of the Spirit, lives begin to change. Hearts begin to soften. And worlds and viewpoints of the world begin to shift. Everyone plays in the kingdom of God. That includes you. That includes me. We all play in the kingdom of God. We all have a role. Because we is better than me. Another illustration I was thinking of is as we were doing this, um, I was thinking of a symphony. And maybe you can't read all those words up there uh, on, the, uh, on the picture. But if you've ever been to a symphony or an orchestra setting before, you know that there's different segments on the stage. There's, there's groupings of instruments throughout it. And as I'm speaking about this, I realize there are people who know a lot more about music than I do in this room. So it was great to see some people come in the door this morning so I could be really nervous about messing up and saying something stupid. Um, but I promise I won't get too technical because I wouldn't know how to get too technical. But there's different groupings on it. Um, so here's another picture of just a symphony. We've got all kinds of stuff up there. And, and, and there's a section of maybe violins, but then there's other stringed instruments that are also around them, kind of. And, and so there's a person who orchestrates all of this, who, who makes them come together in unison, who brings them to a point where the music means something. You ever been in, if you've been to a symphony and you've been in like at the front end of it before they start actually playing and they're warming up their instruments, there's no control to that. It's just everybody's playing, getting the instruments going and, and there's, there's sound coming out of them, but it's not what's going to come out in a few minutes. They're individuals at that point. They're making sure that their instrument works. They're, they're testing what they've been given, what's in their hands, what they now possess, and they're applying some of their talent and their ability through that trumpet or on that violin or whatever the piece is they're playing. But in a few minutes, after they've warmed up and after they've prepared, the conductor will stand before them and will begin to direct them. And they... They know their role. They know what they're supposed to play, hopefully. They've kind of learned their part and the piece. But the conductor begins to control them in a way that it all blends together. And so it's not just sounds coming from the stage. You don't have just the violins and just the trumpets and just the clarinets, but now you've got one sound coming from the stage that's blended together with all of these 
individuals coming together to make one thing. They're coming together to put one piece together. And I, and I love orchestra scores, and this goes back to my superhero thing, because I love a good superhero theme. I love a good theme song that captu- captures emotion and, and grit and intensity. You know, the classic 70s Superman theme song is one of my favorite pieces um, because it just captures so much about who Superman is. As you listen to the song, you begin to think, this is Superman. It's created a, a theme and an identity, and it's, it's got a focus to it. And it's not just cellos playing music. It's everything coming together. And at points in a, in a symphony, at points, elements are highlighted. This group might have a, a, a segment where they get to shine a little bit, and they're really showing what they've got. And then we've got another element where these guys come out. And eventually it blends together. And we have something memorable and remarkable. Um, Really all music, I think, and and, uh, this is probably more technical than I should get, but this is my music theory. Um, All music breaks down from orchestra. What I mean by that is when you think about like a band, I don't think about a band and then it expands into like a, a guitar, drum, stuff like that. I don't think about a band and it expands into an orchestra. I think about an orchestra and the, what happens there and what matters there and, and how music functions at the level. And then you break it down smaller. But it's the same function as what the orchestra is, just with less pieces. It's not an expansion. It's a, it's a shrinking. And so our connection and if this analogy is terrible, then it's terrible, and I'll, I'll learn from that. But our connection to God and to the kingdom of God is a big connection. We're connected to the God of the universe. We're connected to the God outside of time, where God has been doing this a lot longer than any of us have been alive. A lot longer than any of us have been alive. God has been blending people together. God has been putting individuals who have different gifts and talents and abilities and making one masterpiece with a focus and an intention on his goal and on his mission. We think we have to build up, but we've already been built up. The task for us isn't how do I get bigger, it's how do I get focused. How do I find a place where I can channel my gifts and my abilities and my talents and really apply them. Really apply them. That's why we is better than me. Because it's in a place like this that hopefully you find that opportunity to channel those gifts. I I know this this is a weird sermon, and it's a weird conversation because we're not only collective, we are individuals. But our culture emphasizes individuality so much that we often neglect the collective. And that's where the problem is, and that's where we need that tension brought back. That we're, we're both an individual with our own gifts and abilities and talents, our own choices, the, our own consequences for our choices, but we're also supposed to be collective. And we're also supposed to share each other's burdens. 
And we're also supposed to help each other. And we're also supposed to find what we can do together to make a difference. If you are interested in finding a place where you can use your skills and, and use your roles, and you think maybe there's a place here at Wapaknez that I can do something, but you're not sure what it is, or maybe you know what it is, would you take that communication card, that connection card in the back seat of the pew in front of you, just fill it out, and you can drop it in the joy box as you exit out this morning. If you are wanting to be a part of something, and you're tired of just being about me, and I know I need to connect with something bigger and be a part of something more, whether you know what that looks like at this point or you don't, if you just know you need it and you're unsure what that looks like, either way, fill out that card, put a little note on there saying, hey, I want to be connected, not sure what that looks like. Here's my contact info. Stephen and I would love to talk to you because we're both very convinced of our shortcomings in life. We're both very convinced that we can't do all the things that we envision Wapak Naz doing, quite frankly. The impact that we envision for this church and on this community is so much bigger than what he or I could do. And hiring another two or three staff members wouldn't accomplish it either. We need everyone to be a part of that because I believe that that's what God has asked us to do. God has called us to do. We is better than me because everybody plays in the kingdom of God. It's a rule of life. If everyone plays in the kingdom of God, then we have to be focused on the collective. If everyone has a part in God's plan, then I can't just make it about me. It has to be about us. Because that's the way God's planned it, orchestrated it, conducted it. Would you stand pray for you this morning? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, I pray as, as I often pray in my own private time that you would just continue to unify and strengthen us. God, may we be about your mission. May we play our roles and may we learn our parts and may we be prepared for the peace that's before us. But God, man, will you stand before us and will you conduct us? Will you orchestrate our paths and, and our tasks and our jobs and will you move us in a direction that is so much bigger than what any one of us could accomplish. So much more beyond what we could even believe, hope, or imagine. God, I pray today that somebody who maybe has felt disconnected, who has felt like it's kind of about me and not about we, um, that maybe they move towards adjoining a collection, a group that they realize that God you created them this way and that their isolation for self-preservation isn't necessary in the kingdom of God because we will mourn with them we will hurt with them and we will rejoice 
with them because it's what you've called us to do. It's who you've called us to be. It's who you've created us to be. So Father God, I ask these things and so much more than we could hope or imagine. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come. And all God's people said, Amen.